0: Lord, you teach, we listen, let your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct, and really just give us ears to hear what you're wanting us to do with this. To not only just hear it, but to apply it, Lord. And all we say and all we do, and we say thank you in your name. Amen. We're going to finish up chapter 2. We're going to get into chapter 3. Main emphasis tonight is going to be about the new and the old. The new and the old, and that he uses two examples on the Sabbath. One is working on the Sabbath, the other one is healing on the Sabbath. So let's jump into this and see what's going on. We left off last week in 21 of Mark 2. It says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. We're talking about new and old there. This is the foundation of what we're talking about. If you have a pair of jeans and you have to patch them, once you start washing them, that patch, If it's not done properly, it's going to come off because it's going to be different types of materials there. As it says in 21, the one is going to shrink and the other one pulls away. The idea of wine and wineskins, back during Bible times, there they would take these wineskins, and if you put new wine in them, the wine ferments, the wine bubbles, the wine expands. The old wineskins that were rigid could not handle it and they would burst. So we're talking about this idea of new and old. Jesus Christ is saying, I am the new. New Testament. Testament means covenant. Covenant, relationship with God. There's this new way of the cross and Christ and forgiveness of sins. This is the new that's coming. And he's saying here, listen, the old, you're not able to handle this. You're not able to handle because what happens is we're bringing this idea of what is new and the idea of the access to God through Jesus Christ. So you see the new here, you see the old, and the Pharisees have a real hard time with this. They like their rigid system, they like their idea of just the fanaticism that they had of sticking to it. You got to remember that the Pharisees started off on the right path. Their name obviously had the idea of this idea of being separated. They were separating themselves to say, we're going to really follow God's rules and laws. It started out good. Then over hundreds of years, it became this legalism. It became this burden, what we're going to get into later. So when Jesus comes in and says, I'm trying to show you the new, the new covenant, the new Testament, they weren't able to accept it nor willing to accept it. And Jesus is saying in 21 and 22, you can't, you're not willing to. There's too much rigidity, rigidity, excuse me, they're too hard. Now, we need to talk about change here for a second. Because we do need to be open. We do need to be flexible. We need to be open to change. But please let me throw a couple caveats into this. Never change for the sake of change. Okay? Never change to say, oh, I want to be more fresh, more new, more exciting, etc. No, you change as the Lord leads. That's very, very important. Every now and then I run into people that say, hey, we need to change something. And I'll come back and say, why? And they'll say, I don't know. We just do. They just want to change something. Let's just do something different. Hey, if the Lord's in it, the Lord's in it. Let's change. But at the same time, if the tree is producing fruit, then let the tree keep producing fruit because the Lord is in it. But at the same time, don't fear change. I run into a lot of believers that completely, utterly fear change. They want to get saved. They want to know they're going to heaven and then they want nothing traumatic to happen to them until their day of death. The Lord moves. He does things. He may move ministries here. He may move ministries there. He may call you here. He may call you there. There are seasons of life. People come. People go. We've seen this over the 20 years that I've been out here. Somebody told me years ago that there are seasons. And enjoy the season you have with people because you never know how long that season will last. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's not about us, it's about the Lord. What brings glory to God? I tell you, the three things I pray, I try to pray before every service, that God would be glorified, the saints would be equipped, and that the gospel would go forth. That is a successful service. If God got the glory, if the saints were equipped and the gospel went off forward. The problem is that we as human beings get so worked up over so many other things that we forget what the most important stuff is. We become sometimes the old wineskins. We become the rigid. We become the hard. We can't accept change. We can't accept things being different. No, don't fear it. Allow the Lord to lead when it's of Him. It's interesting in 22 where it says that new wine must be put into new wineskins. In our English translation, it has new and new. The problem is there are two different Greek words. If you have a different translation, if you have an RSV or an ESV, it actually says something to the effect of new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. They actually translate it better. It's a different word. The idea of being fresh. The Lord wants you to stay fresh in Him. Think of all the references in the Bible like in Psalm chapter 1 where it says you're supposed to plant yourself by the waters and you will grow and you will be green. The idea of being fresh. Be careful with getting into a Christian rut where you just do the same things again and again and again and you have lost that freshness of being in Christ Jesus. Psalm 92 talks about having fresh oil. Oil represents an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Oil always represents the Holy Spirit there in the Old Testament. And we're supposed to be anointed with a fresh oil. This idea of saying, Lord, how do you want me to move today? What does it look like? Every morning I get up and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Because it's a reference back to Exodus 29 where the daily offerings would have oil in it. We want to stay fresh. Just be careful that you don't become the old wineskin that is so rigid that you can't accept any change or anything different in your lives. Allow the Lord to do things. Allow the Lord to move in new ways. So how do you stay fresh? I just made a quick little list. We've already talked about the fresh oil of the Holy Spirit. You want to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in every conversation, everything you do. Lord, what do you want me to do? How else do you stay fresh? Be in the Word. The Word washes us. It keeps us clean. It keeps us fresh. Be in the Word. Next one. Share Christ. I've noticed a lot that when people become very rigid... They're not out there sharing the gospel. When you go out there to share the gospel, there's always something new. There's always a new question you've never heard before. There's a new way of presenting it. There's always something new. Always something new. And I I forgot to mention Sunday, John said they have some new tracks back there in the back. If sharing your faith is difficult, I encourage you to go back, grab some of those tracks. They're free. Keep them in your wallet. Keep them in your car. If nothing else, hand them out. Keep it fresh, keep it new. Because when you're sharing Christ, you're constantly seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to respond to this? When somebody comes up with a question you don't have the answer to, it forces you to get into the Word. How else do you stay fresh? Die to yourself. I have a tendency in my life to start thinking that what I think and what I feel is really, really important. And the Lord says, no, you're dust. Just die to yourself. Keep God in the forefront. Next one, and this is a hard one for people. Be around the body of Christ. That will keep you fresh in the Lord. Because the body of Christ does different things in different ways. We have a tendency as humans to want to be around the people that do and think the way we do and think. And I have noticed that when you get the body of Christ together, you have white collar, you have blue collar, you have different generations, you have different perspectives, you have different backgrounds, but all brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the body of Christ. And sometimes being around other believers makes it difficult because they do things differently. I'm not saying unbiblical. They just do things differently. Keeps it fresh. You stop and realize, okay, maybe there's some fruit in that. And lastly, pray. Seek him. I tell you this. If you understand the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the fresh oil mentioned in Psalm 92, if you are in the word that washes us, if you're out there sharing Christ, if you're out there dying to yourself, if you're out there being part of the body of Christ, if you're out there seeking Him in prayer, you'll stay fresh wineskin. And so when the Lord wants to put new wine in and He wants to do something a little different, He wants to expand you out a little bit, the Lord will do that. I've shared with you guys many times, the reason we started small groups out here about five years ago was because I was scared to death of small groups. And I'm not making a joke. I can teach a Wednesday night, I can teach Sunday to hundreds of people, but the idea of putting me in a room with maybe three, four, five people made me scared. And so we started small groups. It was biblical. I knew the Lord was leading, and I started teaching a small group, and I have fallen in love with small groups now. Just absolutely love them. I felt the Lord wanted me to take me out of my comfort zone, and for the wineskin to stay fresh, I need to do stuff that takes me out of my comfort zone. A few years ago, when we got the email about possibly going up to Dearborn and going door-to-door... I didn't want to do that. Who wants to go up to an almost entirely Muslim community and knock on the door and invite them to a Christian vacation Bible school? I don't speak Arabic. Now we've gone up three other times. I love it. I look forward to it. Great fruit. Last year, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, the Lord laid on our heart that we needed to go to Mexico. Mexico, you know, the other country. Not a Mexican restaurant, but actually go to Mexico with all five children and my wife, oh, man, that was scary in some ways. But the Lord said, go. I mean, I mean, just And I'm looking now, it's like, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do in 2019? Because I'm really kind of a little nervous now. But the Lord says, this is what I've seen in my walk, is to say, Lord, I want to stay fresh. I have to be open to the things that you're leading me to do. Because it's really, to be quite honest with you guys, with, with what I do, and I hate to refer to what I do as a job. I don't look at it as a job. But with what I do as a job, It's really easy to get comfortable. As long as I don't do something stupid, I don't think the church is going to ask me to go. I could just stay up here and I could keep teaching. I could keep preaching. I could keep doing a little thing. And it's really easy as a pastor to get comfortable. I never want to get comfortable. So, Lord, what's the fresh thing that you want to bring into the life that's going to take me out of my comfort zone, that's going to make me expand a little bit, to keep me from becoming rigid? What's the fresh oil of the Holy Spirit that you have then let's be open to it. So now Jesus uses two examples here of healing on the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath to talk about how the Pharisees have lost this freshness and lost this idea here of the new covenant, this idea of the new that God wants to do. 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not awful on the Sabbath? But he said to him, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, that he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not the man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This is one of the fresh things here, the new, that the Lord is trying to say. What's the word Sabbath mean? It means rest. It means cease. Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Jump with me, if you will, to Exodus 20. Let's remind ourselves on the Sabbath here a little bit. Exodus 20. It's amazing how the Sabbath can become a bone of contention with certain believers. Exodus 20. Let's go right back to the source, the original Ten Commandments. Take a look at verse 8 with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Sabbath, once again from a biblical standpoint, sundown Friday, the sundown saturday now this is actually life-changing the jews are coming out of egypt here and they were slaves they didn't get days off now all of a sudden the lord is saying hey guys take one day off a week that's life-changing what an amazing thing where god himself says take a day and do nothing do nothing Now, let's just get into this here a little bit. There's a lot of couple layers, I should say, with this that we need to unpack a little bit. Um, A lot of times you run into people that look at the Sabbath as being on a Sunday. Once again, it's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And You still run into some people, it's like, well, you shouldn't do anything on Sunday. You you can't really make a biblical case for that. You've got to be careful about adding things to the Bible that are not in there. You may have grown up, you may really believe that it's emphatic for you not to work on Sunday. Okay, well, that's between you and the Lord. Of the Ten Commandments, the only one not repeated in the New Testament is honor of the Sabbath. All the other ones are repeated, but not honor the Sabbath. Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, Let no one judge you on Sabbaths. Be careful with that. You may really think Sunday's important. It is important. But you know what? I work every Sunday. <laughs> so I'm working on that supposed Sabbath day. So I can't get around that. And after you leave church, you're going to probably go to a restaurant where there's going to be a nice little waitress that's working on a Sunday. And you're going to probably swing through Walmart on the way home and grab a gallon of milk, and there's people there that are working. People get a really big deal out of it. We're watching the little house on the prairie with the boys. And if you remember back in one of the earlier episodes, uh, Charles is working a couple jobs, and he's really tired. So he gets up on Sunday morning to go to church. He gets his little tie on. He gets his outfit on. He lays down in bed, and he falls asleep. Carolyn says to the girls, it's okay, we'll just go without him. Your dad's been working hard, we'll let him rest. They couldn't believe that dad was going to miss church, but he was so tired. Carolyn comes home, and what's Charles doing? He's out in the fields working ground. Carolyn goes and just lays into him for working on the Sabbath. You still run into that today, folks. You still run into that today. So what is the Bible trying to tell you? Take a day. Rest. Rest. Rest physically, rest mentally, rest emotionally. Please note, I don't say rest spiritually. Because you're not taking a day off from the Lord. If anything, on your Sabbath day, I hope I would encourage you to spend more time with the Lord. My Sabbath is sundown Thursday through Friday. I usually shut my phone off Thursday evening, and I turn my phone back on Saturday morning. Now, we're not hiding from you guys. You know where we live. You know where we're at. Most of you probably have Dawn's number. But we take a break. We take a Sabbath. And what I try to do on that Sabbath? I'll be honest with you. I used to try to do as much stuff as I could of everything I couldn't do throughout the week. It was my catch-up day. And it never was blessed by the Lord. In fact, if you go read Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 56, you see that's what was happening. God says, you're not really treating the Sabbath for me. You're doing it for yourself, for your own pleasures. And God says, I can't bless that. So I really had to change my mindset on the Sabbath. And what happens is like, okay, Lord, now... Let's try to pray more than what we normally do. Not a legalistic have to. Try to study more. Try to read more. Just to get refreshed spiritually. More time to pray. More time to do things. We try to have the boys do what we call their Friday thing. You know, we're homeschooled, so we do school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We take Friday off, and they come back, and they do school Saturday. And so Friday is I have my Sabbath. The boys have a break from school. So what's your Friday thing, guys? What do you want to do today? And it's just a blessed day of rest of hopefully reading more praying more studying more being refreshed physically being refreshed emotionally being refreshed spiritually does that mean i don't go out and do things on friday no, sometimes you got to mow the yard sometimes you got stuff you got to do i get that but lord what can we do for you today because the point is the sabbath is supposed to be a gift it's supposed to be a blessing not a burden And what was happening now back in Mark chapter 2, they added all these rules. Verse 24, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Because from the Jewish perspective, they were harvesting grain by taking 23, the heads of the grain. And you guys have done it, I've done it. You walk through the wheat field, you take a head of wheat, you do the rub thing, you get rid of all the chaff, you throw the seeds in your mouth. According to the law, you're actually allowed to do this. It says in Deuteronomy 23 that strangers can walk through and pluck off heads of grain. It's lawful. The problem is they've added to it. And so, 24, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You're not going to find that in the Bible. That's why Jesus comes back and says, you guys are wrong. You've become rigid. You've added rules. You are not allowing the new wine to come into the fresh wineskins. Be careful when you start making up rules and regulations that you believe a good Christian should do this or that. If it's not in the Bible, be very, very careful about that. And Jesus goes on and does this amazing example of David. And what's going on here with David is this. David in 1 Samuel 21 is on the run from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. So David is on the run. He has no weapons. He has no food. He's got a group of guys. He has nothing. He comes to the tabernacle. And he says, I need a weapon. And they said, The only weapon we got is Goliath's sword. G- uh, David says, I'll take it. So he's got Goliath's sword. And they said, We're hungry. They said, The only thing we got is the showbread. Showbread is every Sabbath they would cook 12 loaves of bread, a special recipe, special flowers, special oil. Frankincense was put on it, a nice little uh, symbolism there of Jesus' birth. But only Aaron and the priest could eat it. But the priest said, The only thing I got is the showbread. David says, We'll take it. That's not allowed. But what did Jesus say? David ate the showbread. because the greater good, it's always better to do the greater good. Well they, they shouldn't be eating food like that on the Sabbath. They shouldn't be plucking the heads of grain. Jesus says, let it go. Do the greater good. Just think about just think about this for a second. How many things would just go better in our lives if we just stop and say, you know what? it doesn't matter in the whole scheme of heaven and hell. It's really not like this unbiblical thing they're doing. I'm just going to let it go. Just have peace. There's certain things you've got to take a stand on. Never forget that. Stand for truth. There's a lot of things we get worked up on. Maybe the Lord just says, let it go. Jesus comes and says, David ate the showbread. This is a little phrase that Dawn and I use a lot in our marriage. I am definitely a grace guy. I'm a grace guy. I like grace. I love grace. Dawn wants to bring back stoning But I like grace. This is why we're a nice combination. She wants to stone people. I want to give them grace. She hates it. And it's this little tongue-in-cheek joke that we have that when something pops up and it's just not right, and it's this really weird, it's not wrong, but it's just not done properly right, and it's like, okay, what's the best way to handle it? And I'll look at her and say, David ate the showbread. The greater good is, let's just do this. David ate the showbread. And Jesus said that. Sometimes we just got to let things go. And Jesus comes back in 27 and says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God says, I gave you the Sabbath as a gift, guys. You're hurting this gift. You're hurting this blessing. And then he comes back in 28 and says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He says, hey, guess what? I made the rules. I'm allowed to say this is okay. So you want to add your little rules if you can't pluck heads of grain and you want to say that you can't do it? Yeah, I know the law. I wrote the law. They're allowed to do it. And guess what? David ate the showbread. That's the greater good. And you guys are rigid. You guys aren't allowing the fresh to come in. And it's going to be a problem. Now please let me put this last caveat on this. We're not saying, we are not saying that you compromise the scriptures and truth. Be careful with that. I've run into pastors, I've run into ministries that just want to change the Bible. Because God's doing something new. Be careful with that. Make sure you've got a biblical backing on your thing that the Lord is leading you to do. But in this instance right here, David ate the showbread. And God says this is the purpose of the Sabbath, is to be a blessing, not to be a burden. And what a blessing it is. So we'll stop right there. That's our first example here. So we've talked about fresh wineskins being fresh. Uh, we've talked about the Sabbath. Any quick questions over Sabbath or the fresh wineskins here before we go on? Okay. All right. So now that we've covered that, now we talk about healing on the Sabbath. Now i got to put this in here as we get to chapter 3. The Jews had all these rules about healing on the Sabbath. They're not in the Bible. If you had an awful, horrible cut, awful, horrible cut, you're allowed to put something on it to stop the bleeding, but you could do nothing to repair the wound. These are just the little rules that they had. And And they carried all these extra rules about what was allowed and what not allowed. So they looked at healing on the Sabbath as being completely against God's word. Now, let me stress again, you're not going to find this in the Bible. These are the rigid rules that they created that took the joy out of it. And Jesus, you're going to see some pretty harshness here with Christ. Look at verse 1. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Now, what's a withered hand? Depending on your translation, it is a deformed hand. It is a shriveled hand. Other places, the same Greek word is used in the idea of of a withered up plant. I mean, this, this hand was just did not function. I almost envisioned it just having atrophy. It just hangs there. There's nothing to it. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Isn't verse 2 fascinating? They knew he could heal. They're watching him to see if he's going to heal. It's not a question of whether Jesus could do it. It's whether a question of Jesus is going to do it. They knew that Christ could heal. And they still were upset at him. Verse 3, he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. i want to stop right there. I, I love this verse. And when I discovered this verse years ago, it blessed me. Because there are times I get angry in ministry. I get angry when I see people doing things that are unbiblical and it starts hurting families, starts hurting kids, starts hurting marriages and relationships, I get angry when I see people in ministry doing things that hurt the body of Christ, where people are purposely going backwards in their walk instead of forwards, and they know better. And you love them, and you warn them, you admonish them, you rebuke them, and you just see this hardness of their heart where they don't care, and they have no fear of God. And I used to say, don't get upset, don't get upset. And then I read this, hey, Jesus was angry. What was he angry at? The hardness of their heart. I'm allowed to get upset over the choices that people make that take them away from Jesus Christ, that hurt their walks, their marriages, their relationships, their kids, their ministries. I'm allowed to get upset at the hardness of their heart. I can't get angry at them, and I don't make it personal, but I'm allowed to stop and say, those choices you are making are not godly. And that really upsets me. Because we know better. There's no fear of God. So Jesus looked around, was angry. And not only angry, verse 5, grieved. See, now here's the problem. Some of you get angry, but you don't get grieved. So you just walk around angry. And so what happens is you just don't have joy. You're just angry at everybody. What are you upset about? They're not acting like a Christian. Are you grieved by it? No, I'm just angry. You want the combo of being angry and grieved. Because when you're grieved about it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to start praying for that person. You're going to fast for that person. You're going to go up in love and try to correct that person. If you're just angry, yeah, you're just going to give them the cold shoulder. You're not going to want to go to church. You're not going to want to be part of the body, not be part of fellowship. Because you're going to look at all these C-minus Christians and say they don't get it. They don't understand. You're just angry about it. Be grieved. Grief to the point of saying, I want to pray for these people. I want to love them. I want to disciple them. I want to get involved in their lives spiritually. Their heart's hard. I know it's hard. It makes me angry, but it also makes me sad. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. That's just simple. He can't, though. His hand is withered. It is deformed. It is shriveled. He can't stretch it out. It just hangs there you ever realize when god asks you to do something that you can't he's trying to teach you a lesson i mean when you're in public and he says go talk to that person me no not me it's the whole gideon response you remember when the angel of the lord showed up and said gideon and he called gideon mighty man of valor and gideon's like who me he goes yeah you and gideon has this long speech I'm from the smallest tribe, of the smallest clan, of the smallest family. But God says, I see what you can become. You're a mighty man of valor. This guy right here, he can't stretch out his hand probably. It's withered, deformed, and shriveled. But as he stretched it out, his hand was restored as whole as the other. I I just absolutely love that. I just absolutely love it. Jesus and anger and grief actually just heals that's how he gets his point across. Verse 6, And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Remember, the Pharisees are the ones that want the most conservative of conservative. They want to follow all the rules of the law. They want to follow uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They want to add rules. They want to do all this rigid stuff. But then you got the Herodians, and Herodians are followers of Herod. Herod is the king, and he's not really a king. He's really just a puppet there placed by rome so you got these herodians that almost have a roman sympathy to them and you see the pharisees and these sympathetic romans now getting together this is what happens in hate and anger it makes really strange bedfellows and how angry are they verse six they want to destroy jesus why because he healed somebody He's so They're so angry, they want to destroy him because he healed somebody. They want to destroy him for doing good. Now, I want you to think, the last time you got really angry, really angry, was it over something eternal? Was it over something that really mattered in the whole scheme of heaven and hell? Was it over something that really mattered about making sure that Jesus is glorified and souls are saved? Or was it that you got your feathers ruffled and you threw a little bit of Bible in there? I'm gonna be honest, there's a lot of times when I get upset, I can I can quote verses pretty good. And I can probably find a verse to back up my emotions. I just have to take it out of context just a tiny little bit. But I sound really good. Ask Dawn. I sound really good at that moment. Don't ask Dawn. But the point is I do. A lot of times at that moment, I got the anger down, but I'm not the grieve down. And it's amazing how when we really get upset about something in verse 6, we start making all these little deals in our mind, and we start making all these plans in our mind. Look at the words in verse 6. I start plotting, and I start plotting destruction. And Jesus says, I just want grace. Yeah, but Lord, we need to do this. We need to, yeah, there's... Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's times to take a stand for truth. There's times to put our foot down. There's, that's The Lord makes that clear. But these Pharisees that supposedly loved Jehovah so deeply, man, they cared more about their little rules being followed than the guy being healed. They cared more about them not harvesting grain by plucking a head than doing good. And this is why Jesus was angry, and this is why Jesus was grieved. I tell you, when you run into somebody who has a rigid wineskin, that will not budge. I gotta be honest, sometimes it makes us angry. We can't take it personally. Realize their heart's hard, they need a fresh oil, and we need to be grieved and pray for them, encourage them, and love them. Because what happens most is being flexible to the leading of the Holy Spirit, flexible to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? You know, I've never wanted us to be a church out here that says, well, this is the way we have to do it because this is the way we've always done it. Listen, if the way we've always done it is fruitful, we don't have to change it just to change it. Let the fruits come and let the fruit come. But at the same time, if the Lord is leading, let the Lord lead. Maybe you got something in your life right now that you said, I would never. Careful with that. The Lord may be leading you. He may be saying it's time to make sure your wineskin's a little more fresh. A little more fresh when it comes to things. And just be careful too, verse 5. You can get angry over someone's hardness of heart. Just make sure you're angry and grieved. The grieved part is really important, I believe, because that brings the emotional side into it to say, I care enough about this person to love them. Not just be angry at them, but love them. All right, we've got a couple closing thoughts here, but real quick, any quick questions about anything here thus far? Uh, Wineskins, Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, fresh oil, angered heart, grieved heart. We good? All righty. If you could do this with me, please. Can you go with me to Psalm 92? Psalm 92. Not going to do the whole psalm. That's a great psalm. I think it's really fascinating if you look in verse 1. Psalm 92 says, A Psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. What were we just talking about, the Sabbath day? right, I lied, let's just do all of it. Verse 1. It is good. To give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. Hey, do me a favor if you could, please. Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, just remember what the purpose of church is. For God to be glorified, the saints to be equipped, and for the gospel to be presented. I don't know where, as a society, we started getting into this mindset that the purpose of church is for me to walk away entertained, I had fun, and it was good. You know, I was really praying about that the other day. What's considered a successful service? And it can't be anything based on who comes, who doesn't, numbers, nothing like that, because that's so fleeting. A successful service is God, were you glorified, were the saints equipped, and was the gospel presented? That's what matters. And I see right here at the beginning of Psalm 92, on a Sabbath day, what does he start with? Let's just give thanks to God and sing praises to him. What a great start right there. Verse 5, O Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know. Now, this is where we're going to get into the two points here to close with. A senseless man does not know. In the Hebrew, it means an animal, a brutish animal does not know. If you guys have any pets at home, you know what I'm talking about. We have an outside dog, we have outside cats, and if we ever throw out some type of uh, food garbage, it is like wild kingdom out there, hissing and growling. And it's like, come on, guys, you're all fat and out of shape, you guys aren't starving. But they become brutish animals, senseless. And spiritually speaking, you know people like that. Jumping from woman to woman to woman. Jumping from drink to drink to drink. Drug to drug to drug. Pleasure to pleasure to pleasure. They are a senseless, brutish animal. Verse 6. Nor does a fool understand this. They're fools. When the wicked spring up like grass. Remember that, grass. And when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. Verse 7. You're going to see workers of iniquity flourish on this earth. You will. You've got a guy at work that is a bum. And he keeps getting promoted you got people that you know are just awful, horrible people. And everything just falls into place for them all the time. They are flourishing. Yes, they are flourishing, verse 7, like grass. Remember that. Eight. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. See, I'm not looking at the grass on the earth. I'm looking on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn, my strength, You have exalted like a wild ox. Here's our verse. I have been anointed with fresh oil. See, when you have the fresh oil and the anointing, you can let the workers of iniquity go. You can let the grass flourishing grow. You can let the wicked perish. You can let it go. Because you have something bigger, deeper you're looking on. But if you don't have that anointing of fresh oil, you're going to get so caught up in the things of this world and the little offenses and the little bothers and the little this. You're going to be angry all the time, but no joy. Lord, give me the fresh oil. Verse 11. My eye has also seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. See, now remember, they're flourishing like grass. Verse 7, 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Do you want to be grass or the palm tree? Do you want to be grass or do you want to be the cedar? There's no comparison. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Choose where you want to be planted, folks. You want to be planted as close as you can to Jesus. That goes back to John 15. Abide in Him. Abide in Him and you will flourish. 14. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Oh, wow. I see so many believers, as they get older in the Lord physically and older in the Lord spiritually, they quit bearing fruit. They become rigid wineskins. Be careful of that. If you are here tonight, or if you're listening online or wherever, and you find yourself becoming more and more rigid, that's not a compliment. There should be a freshness to say, Okay, Lord. I want to keep flourishing in the courts of our God. I want to bear fruit in old age, be fresh and flourishing. To do what? Verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. Just got to remember, guys, we don't ever want to change for the sake of change, to look more exciting, to look more new. No, we change as the Lord leads. But we also never want to fear change. Change is good. And if the Lord is asking you right now to put some fresh oil on the wineskin and expand out a little bit, be willing to listen. Take the step of faith. See what God has. And if you find yourself like Jesus, looking at the rigidness of other people, and it makes you angry, just be careful. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. What you do while you're angry determines whether it's a sin or not. Remember what it says in Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. But if you're going to be angry, make sure you're grieved as well. To say, Lord, my heart breaks for these people. My heart breaks for the situation. I pray for them. I fast for them. I, I try to share depth in the Lord with them, because I'm so angry. It grieves me to see them want to be different. Just be careful. We can learn a lot from this—the freshness and also saying, "Okay, alrighty, Lord, I don't want to become so rigid. I'm yelling at people for plucking heads of grain when it's biblically allowed. I don't want to get so angry that you're doing good, Lord, by healing people, and I'm upset." Oh, man, no, Lord. Let you get the glory. Let you get the glory in all things. All right. Hey, would you guys stand with me so we can close this out in prayer? Lord, help us as a church to never become rigid. To always allow you to move in whatever way you want to move through your spirit. Lord, help us as individuals to never become rigid to allow you to move in our lives in whatever way. We are dust. We are the unprofitable servants, and we will do what you tell us to do. But, Lord, if you're calling us to expand out, please give us the strength and the faith to do it. We can't do it on our own. Let there be a fresh anointing. Let there be a fresh oil. And be open to what you're calling us to do and to go out there, Lord. And, Lord, when we get angry, help us to be grieved while angry, too. Help us to truly, as it says in Ephesians, to be angry and do not sin. You set the example, Lord. You set the example of anger but love, grieved but love. Help us to walk in that example. We thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we say thank you in your name. Amen. guys have a good week and God bless.